Ecclesiastes 8 tonight. Everybody need notes out there? All right, Mr. Jack needs some notes. Anybody have some for him? Oh, we got it right here, John. We got it, got it fixed up. Give you a report on the Somerville Baptist Church meeting that we were able to go to this past week on Monday and Tuesday. And it was a great meeting. Uh, on Tuesday morning, we were presented some needs of some things in the Northwest. And I believe out of the churches that were there that we raised over $13,000 just within a matter of minutes to meet those needs. And every one of them was completely met. 
Yeah, so to God be the glory. Yeah, we had a part of that, a small part, uh, from the offerings that we had taken over these last few weeks. And yeah, so we, we were excited to do that. If you think about it, this coming Tuesday morning, pray for Brother Andrew Maddox, who is going to be speaking at the Southern Idaho Baptist Fellowship meeting uh, in Jerome. Yeah, so he's a, he's a little bit nervous because he's never uh, even been to Jerome. How many have been to Jerome? It's nothing to worry about, right? Just a bunch of farmers. Um, but uh, they've asked him to do that, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, so we're going there tomorrow evening for that meeting. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and verses 1 through 9. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And we're going to take that part of the passage tonight. Hopefully uh, be able to cover the whole thing. And from verse 8 there are our topic, a war without discharge. There's no discharge in that war. We're going to get to that phrase and talk about it a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage right after we pray. Father, thank you for the good group here tonight and their faithfulness. And thank you once again for the way that you work in each of our lives to your glory. And I pray that these things would be useful to us, that your wisdom would be imparted to us in a special way. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, here we go into your notes on this Sunday evening. We start by saying this, getting God's wisdom has some outstanding results. And I'm mentioning some of those here from verse number one. A sunny and bold countenance being just one of them. So one of the results of wisdom is a sunny and bold countenance. Look at this in verse 1. Who is this, the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. Now go back to Proverbs, and of course Proverbs is a great book of wisdom. But there are some things in Proverbs and about wisdom that I think that we should all latch on to. And if you've never been a big student of Proverbs, just take one year of your life and read through Proverbs 
uh, one chapter a day, every day for the year, and you end up reading through it 11 or 12 times, and it'll make a huge impact in your walk with God. Proverbs 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, this is wisdom, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. So wisdom, God's wisdom, of course, has the power to put an ornament of grace in your life. Where when other people see you, they see God's grace. When other people see you, they see a crown of glory that reflects who your God is. And now Solomon in Ecclesiastes is talking about that very same thing in chapter 8, where it says, A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. <coughs> when Moses came down from the mountain, you remember that the people cried out and asked him to cover his face with a veil because he had been up in Mount Sinai with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And his face was so bright that it was, you know, blinding them. And so they had to cover his face with a veil. When we have the wisdom of God present in our lives, it makes those around us just see grace and to see God's glory and to see God's beauty and what's going on in our lives. Uh, see, God's wisdom doesn't highlight us. It highlights God. And uh, that's what's so important about it. When you know whose wisdom highlights his own wisdom? A fool. See, a fool's got to show you everything he knows. And usually it's not much. Or usually it's kind of distorted or, or perverted or changed from God's wisdom. And when you look at him, you don't see an ornament of grace. You see an ornament of a fool. But when you have godly wisdom, it makes your face to shine. There's another part of it, though. It says you'll have boldness of face. Boldness of face. Now think about that. What does that look like? It's not a term that we really use, right? Say, boy, he sure has a bold face. You know, what does that mean? He has a chiseled look or he's masculine. Um, my mother used to say, well, she has a kind face. And uh, then I won't tell you the rest of it. I guess it wouldn't be gracious to do that my little sister in here? <laughs> she, she, would, she would know what it is. My mom all had these wittings, witty sayings. And they were all from her dad, who was not necessarily the nicest person on earth. And maybe you had a relative like that, too. But <laughs> um, no, actually, I'll tell you the rest of it, because it's a Sunday night. Give you a little treat here. She, we'd be driving down the road, or we'd be in an environment. And she'd say, kind of in her cantankerous voice. Dave knows what I'm talking about here. Not mean, just kind of kind of get him. She'd say, uh, that girl has a kind face. The kind you'd like to spit in. <laughs> right? So that's kind, right? That's a, that's a bold face. Um, now, we, do, we have heard this expression before. When somebody tells you a lie, it's just completely ridiculous, completely illogical. What do you say about them? 
We say that they told you a bold-faced lie. Right? So they talked to you with confidence that they were telling the truth, and you found out they lied to your face. Now, that's what the term we use, isn't it? Well, he lied to my face, which is worse somehow than lying on the telephone, <laughs> or somehow worse than lying through a letter, or somehow worse than lying behind your back, right? Why is it? Because we read gestures and we read facial expressions. In fact, that's 93% of our communication. And so when someone has a bold face toward us and we find out that they lied to us or they stick our, their finger in our face and like President Bill Clinton, you remember what he said? And, and then we find out that they're lying. Goodness gracious, it upsets us because they're taking what appears to be God's wisdom, and they're throwing it, the Bible says, under the feet of swine. So the byproducts of God's wisdom are huge, and we can relate to them in the way that we verbalize things in our society. <laughs> now let's go to verse number two. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. <coughs> Sorry, I thought I was doing better today. Get a little water. Here's what we say in your notes. I think this begins to explain it well. Submitting to our earthly authorities is an indication that we understand our heavenly authority. Okay, this happens in every one of God's institutions. <clears throat> talking about the government here, but if we were talking about the home, every kid would know this verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So why do we obey parents? Well, because we want to obey God, because God is the one who sets the authority structure. In Hebrews 13, within the confines of the local church, not in a dictatorial way, but in a spiritual, godly way, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. So it's related to God, as they that must give account. So all authority comes from God to us, and we're supposed to recognize our earthly authorities in a way that we understand our heavenly authority. So when Solomon says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, he wasn't just telling his children or his son specifically to follow earthly authorities. He was saying to do it in light of a heavenly authority. And he goes further in that, verse 3. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Talking about the king. So he says, don't go out of his sight. <clears throat> Now, those of you who are parents, you kind of get this. Um, where you, your kids, when they get out of your sight, they tend to get in more trouble. Especially if they're little. Um, I had two little boys. They, they didn't get in trouble. They weren't in trouble. I was just worried about them. Right before church tonight, there's a big air conditioner right outside my window for one of the units in here. And two of the little boys had hidden behind it and was running. 
And so I was just worried, you know, with the electricity and things. So I knocked on my window. I saw these two little heads look at me. <laughs> Come back out of here, okay? So they're not in trouble. And parents, it was, it was little, uh, my little nephew, Jack, and my little buddy right back here. Um, they're not in trouble. And mom and dad, please don't get them in trouble. I'm telling the story to prove a point. How did they get into that situation? Well, their mom and dad were, and their parents were in here singing in choir. And so they decided to run and play, which is great. Bill and Marlene were kind of watching them run all over, and they were having fun. Um, but when they got outside, far enough out of the view of the adults, what happened? They got into a little bit of a dangerous situation. Now, we do that all the time, right? Um, and you see parents um, who have their toddler, and they're not watching them, and their toddler wanders out in the street. We had in Boise just a few weeks ago, you see about the little boy who got hit on the bicycle right on Fairview Avenue and only about two, three years old. Um, and, and so we see things like that with our kids, but we don't necessarily understand how that applies to us as adults, how that applies to us in a, a way of authority. And what, what it's saying is, Anytime you hide from the view of your earthly authority, you could get yourself in trouble. You could be up to no good, right? Like if a police officer ever stops you and you start ruffling papers in your car and you start opening compartments and throwing things in, (laughs) what do you think is going to happen? Sir, I need you to step out of the vehicle and we're going to need to search some things. Why? Because it looks like you're trying to hide something. And when we try to hide part of our life from the authority structure that we have, um, anytime you go into a room with one of your kids and they move something real quickly, um, especially if it's electronic, it means that they're doing something they're not supposed to do. Right? It's just intuition. And we do this sometimes with our heavenly authority structure. God comes through the Holy Spirit to talk to us about a piece of our lives. And what we try to do is move it to another compartment. We say, God, I'm going to hide this one from you for a while. And we know from the Bible that it's impossible to hide anything from God, but we still try. We know that the Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but we still try to hide our sins. So this is addressing a natural human behavior that we have. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Here's a very interesting phrase right in the middle of verse 3. Stand not in an evil thing. Now there's two applications here. One is, don't go out of the sight of authority so that you can do something wrong. Okay, that's kind of the given application. That's what it means. But it also means this. Even if the king tells you to do something that's wrong, you shouldn't do it. Okay, so here's the application. We actually put this one in your notes. The only exception God gives for going against earthly authority is when the authority is telling you to go against God. And we see this happen throughout the scriptures where there are men of God 
who had to stand up against earthly authority because the earthly authority was trying to take or usurp God's authority. We see it in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, it's going to happen not too long after Solomon lived. Solomon um, is writing this to Rehoboam. We've talked about that before. Rehoboam is going to completely go against the advice and the wisdom his dad gives him and the older men, and he's going to lose ten tribes out of the kingdom within just the first few weeks of being king. The guy who's going to take the kingdom, his name is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And that's a name, for some reason, that's always able to stick in my head. I don't know if it's the Nebat part or what it is. Um, Nebat. Just think of that. Nebat. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, what he did, right when he became king of the north of Israel, he told all the people, we don't want you to have to travel to Jerusalem for the feasts anymore. And so what we're going to do is we're going to fix it up where you can only go to two places that are closer to you. One's in the north, it's Dan, and the other is down here in the south, and we're going to build these golden calves. And these golden calves are going to be the high places where you come to worship and where you come to uh, observe the feasts. And you may remember this is in 1 Kings 13. God sent a young prophet to prophesy against that golden calf that Jeroboam made. And a, a man of God, we don't even know his name, <clears throat> came and prophesied against that golden calf. And it said exactly what was going to happen to it and what was going to happen to Jeroboam. And it's an Old Testament indicator that even though the king had authority, if the king went against God's authority, then we're supposed to go tell the king, here's what God said. Now, this happened later with Peter. Peter grew up under the ministry of Christ in ministry. And Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God." But when the magistrates called him in and said, don't you preach in his name anymore. Don't you speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Do you remember what Peter said in Acts 5? He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Because it was a conflict between heavenly authority and earthly authority. And if an earthly authority ever tells you to go against God's word deliberately... The Bible says that you should stand not in an evil thing, no matter who tells you to do it. That's a big step. That's a hard step. But it's a step that God wants you to take. Verse number four. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What are you doing, king? What are you up to, king? Who gets to walk into the throne room and say, Hey, king, what are you doing? Because he's the king, right? Now, it's verses just like this and actual Bible passages that made the founders of the United States say, We don't want a king. We want three branches of government that are there to correct and fix each other at all times. We don't want a king where we have to walk in and say, King, what do you think you're doing? Now, this happened in the Bible, too. There's a good king. Um, he had a good mom, good dad. 
The Bible says he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. His name was Uzziah. And Uzziah was king for a long time. And one day Uzziah decided to go into the temple and to take the censer and to burn incense. And the priest walked in and saw him. And he says, what are you doing, king? Not paraphrasing. It's not King James lingo. He said, what are you doing, king? It appertaineth not to thee to burn incense. <laughs> and you know what the king did? Put him in prison. You know what God did? He killed the king. He gave him a disease of the feet, and then he died. And God doesn't mess around with this kind of stuff. So there's a passage here from God's Word that lines up with our heritage here in the United States. But here's what we want to say in your notes. The principle of not respecting, this is a negative principle, of not respecting the king of heaven's authority is seen in other Bible passages. So this is dealing with the earthly king, but this phrase or this saying is used for the heavenly king. Look at Job chapter 9. Job, chronologically, many Bible historians believe, is the oldest book in all of the Bible. And it talks about a man who lived within 300 years after the worldwide flood. Job chapter 9, here's Job speaking. And he's talking about God's greatness. And this is before one word of Scripture had been penned on animal skin. And let's just read a little bit, because Job is such a unique book. Um, but let's start at the beginning, Job 9. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? So he says, how am I going to go to God and say, God, I'm okay. I've got things figured out. If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart, mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Talking about God. Which removeth the mountains, and they know not. Which overturneth them in his anger. Which shaketh the earth out of her place. And the pillars thereof tremble. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Seems like Job knew more about God's creation than many modern-day scientists. All right, look at this. He, he knew some of the things that God had done. Verse 9. Which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He knew about the constellations. And because there was no electric light... He could actually see the constellations every night of his life, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Now look at this next phrase. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Now this was a man who had lost ten children in a storm. And there he's saying about God. When God takes away, who can hinder him? Who can stop him? Who can take the death angel and bind him? 
And then look at this next question. Who will say unto him, What doest thou? And yet, isn't it ironic that we find it easier to point our fingers in God's face and tell God that he's doing it the wrong way than we even do with our earthly authorities? See, normally when we have a big problem in life, who gets the blame of our soul? God. You say, no, no, it's not God. I don't ever blame God. You know what jealousy is? It's pointing your finger at God's face and saying to God, God, you could have done better with my life. You could have put me in a different family. You could have put me in a different situation. You could have made me taller, shorter, skinnier, fatter, whatever it is. Jealousy is a resentment against our Creator to say, God, you messed up in my life. Sometimes our soul willingly says, God, what are you doing in my life? Why'd you mess things up for me? And Job said, we have no right. We have no right. It can't be done. Now, there's another place that's just like this in Isaiah. And I love the one in Isaiah because God himself, Jehovah, is the one who weighs in on this. By the way, uh, Jehovah weighed in later in on that book as well, in the book of Job. And if you ever want to have your mind blown, read Job 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42, when God actually gets involved and starts talking. And I'll tell you what, he brings the power down. Isaiah 45. This is God talking. Let's pick it up in verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There's none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. And when we say evil here, we're not talking about sinful evil. We're just talking about sorrow. God doesn't tempt man with evil and God doesn't do evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Look at verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. So it said, listen, if you're a piece of dust, fight with the other pieces of dust. You don't have any right to fight with God. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, what begettest thou? Or to the woman, what hast thou brought forth? And God goes on to talk about how he's made the earth and how he's created it and how he's stretched it across the universe. And we have no right ever to go to God and say, God, what do you think you're doing? So that's the principle that's invoked here in Ecclesiastes 8. Now let's go back to it. And Ecclesiastes 8 verse 5. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. So here's what we say in your notes. 
And you could read Romans 13, 1 through 6 if you want to study this out more. Civil obedience guarantees a more peaceful and happy life on this earth. And that's just absolutely true. If you don't get in trouble with the civil authorities, your life's going to be more peaceful. Guaranteed. It's just a guarantee that God gives you. That if you will keep the commandment, you will feel no evil thing. Um, Most people feel the greatest distress, greatest burdens, the greatest problems, because they have crossed a boundary. Now, it's either a civil boundary or it's a spiritual boundary. Uh, So many times we don't respect God's boundaries the way we should. We know how to get by with manipulating the speed limit. Right? You can go 62 and a 55 and usually be okay. Uh, or if you're in a 35, you can go 39, 40. You know, we, we kind of know how to manipulate those numbers. But when it comes to God's lines and God's boundaries, they can't be manipulated. And the reason why we have struggles in our life is because we don't keep God's word. Verse 6. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. Here's how we say it in your notes. People that don't observe the right time and proper manner of dealing with authority bring themselves misery. Right? You walk into the police station and start telling the policeman off, you probably won't have a very nice evening. But if you do have something you need to bring up, Yes, and related to city government, go down to the city council meeting. And uh, the city council, they're always happy to have guests, right, Bill? You just go in, sit, and talk with them. And they ask you, right at the beginning of the meeting, say, is there anybody in here who has something that's not on the agenda that you'd like to talk about? They go walk right up there. Say, look, I was driving down to Indiana the other day, and there was an officer um, who drove too fast or wasn't paying attention and I didn't want to go into the police station and tell him off because I didn't think that would go well but I just thought I'd let the city council know okay thank you thanks for letting us know about that we'll check on that you know the the car number and they'll ask you all kinds of questions there's a a time and a place to do things so many times we get in trouble because we don't know the time and place where those things are supposed to happen And it brings misery on us, right? Like, you kids know, if you've got much life experience, you know when you should ask your dad for something big and when you shouldn't, right? Now, when he just got home from a day (laughs) where everything blew apart, and uh, you know that when he walked in the door, you could hear by his footstep that, you know, fee-fi-fo-fum had come to your house, That is not the time to walk in and say, hey, Dad, just wanted to see if I could borrow the car this weekend. Right? No, not the time. The time is when he just finished dinner and Mom just gave him a plate of strawberry shortcake and he's taken the second bite and he is starting to feel what heaven is like. And as he begins to feel heaven in his stomach, you say, hey, Dad, just, just thinking about this weekend, Think I could borrow the car for, you know, such and such? 
yeah, that sounds good. You should do that. Right? So you got to know time and manner. Now, that's just a little tip. That's maybe not even biblical, but I threw that one in. Okay, here's another one. Verse number seven. For he knoweth not that which shall be. Talking about humans. Mankind. For who can tell him when it shall be? In your notes, none of us, including the earthly authorities, knows the future. Only the God of outcomes can handle that area. We're famous human beings for doing five-year plans and ten-year plans, and with our government, 50-year plans. Like, I project we're going to be out of debt in five million years, right? <laughs> we, we've got all these big plans, but the truth is, God's the God of outcomes, and uh, we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We're only involved, really, with present tense decisions. Those are the only ones we really can even make. You can't make a decision for yesterday. I know this is mind-numbing to think this through, right? You can't decide to buy a burrito yesterday morning. Is everybody with me on this? Now, you can decide that you're going to buy one tomorrow morning, but you're still going to have to wake up and in the present decide to do it and make it happen. I don't know why I talked about burritos. Maybe we should make breakfast burritos tonight for dinner. Let's do that. Um, but, but here in the verse, God is the one who knows. Especially on this point from verse number 8. The spirit over the spirit to retain the spirit. Power of the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Power in the day of death. And that phrase that we saw earlier, there is no discharge in that war. In your notes we say it this way. There is no exemption from death. No person has power over the breath of life. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your position is. You can't get out of that battle. You, you don't get to be discharged from that war. And so God has given us clarity on the fact that we have no power over the breath of life. Verse number 9. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. Interesting phrase at the end of verse 9. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. You know, there are people who dream their whole life to be in certain positions. Or they dream for years at their company or uh, in their club, neighborhood club or whatever it is, that they want to be in charge. And they've been saying things for years like, if I was in charge, I would do this. Okay? And when, I, when I'm in charge, the politicians stand up, when I'm in charge, this is going to happen. There's always a rude awakening when somebody who had been saying, if I were in charge, when I'm in charge, and then they're actually in charge. And sometimes it's a very rude awakening. It's like the reality is, whoa, what just happened here? And sometimes we want to rule over other people just so that we can have power. But in having power, we hurt ourselves the most. 
A lot of times, people who are in power lose their families. They hurt themselves the most because they don't live by God's rules and by God's grace. And so in your notes, we say this. Any person who leads has the potential to hurt those he leads, but he also has the potential to hurt himself. That is why I will end by telling you this. The most important person you lead is yourself. You can't lead anybody else until you lead yourself. If you're not walking with God in your own life, you can't lead anybody else to walk with God. If you're not walking in prayer in your own life, you can't lead anybody else spiritually. And sometimes we get so disjointed from reality where we think that we can lead others when we haven't even led ourselves. That's why that verse is so valuable and it's so important. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing word. Good to see you tonight. Check on your service crew. And uh, hey, how many like eggs? Like eggs? All right, there we go. Grab you a, a burrito. What's that called? A tortilla? A tortilla? And throw you some eggs and some picani sauce, some hot sauce. Maybe cut up some of that little, fine little uh, elk or, or deer jerky. Throw that in there. And uh, get it a little salty, Josh, you know what I'm talking about? Put that on your burrito. Throw a little cheese on there. Grab a couple of chips. There's dinner right there. See what I'm saying? You with me on that? Oh, yeah. There we go. He just did the North Carolina thing. I don't even know what word it is, but say it, say it loud. See, see, we don't even know what that is. I think he's saying sure, but I don't even know what it is. It sounds like shup. Shup? Oh, yes. Oh, because the people in North Carolina don't know how to spell sure. <laughs> okay, I got it now. I have got this figured out. God, thank you for Centennial Baptist Church and the way you work in our lives. Guide us this week by your grace. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Shup.